Welcome to the Better Questions Podcast, where we wrestle with hard questions and seek to ask better ones. This question comes from Dan. Dan asked the question, what are things that you practice in order to maintain a healthy and vibrant faith? What I think I want to do here is tackle these one at a time. And so those are going to be separate episodes, and I'll talk about practices, um, practicing the way of Jesus. We did a sermon series on this a year ago, and I think we'll take these one at a time. So I'm going to start uh, with one today. Uh, as I thought about this, I, I think one of the enemies of our faith is forgetting. Um, I think what we see this theme in the Old Testament of the the Israelites often forgetting what God had done, forgetting who God was. And I think one of the most important parts of our discipleship is to remember what God has done in our lives and to put those things on our minds so that we can have gratitude and sort of recenter ourselves. Um, I have a short memory. Uh, <laughs> my wife would tell you, I I forget where I place my keys. I have tiles on all of my keys and in my wallet because I misplace them. I have, my brain is just not great at remembering the little things. Um, and I don't know if that's just how I, I think that's probably how I've always been wired. Um, but I certainly know that living in a digital age and um, sort of being constantly stimulated plays some part of that. Um, but there was a uh, there was a researcher in the late 1800s. Okay, his name is Ebbinghaus, and he did something that has been called the forgetfulness curve, which basically asked the question: How quickly we forget things. Now, depending on what you want to remember or forget. And so as a pastor, this, I remember reading this and being like, oh, this is, this is depressing. Because it shows that after about 20 minutes, basically, people can't remember half of what you've said. And six days later, 75% of what you said is gone. And um, when I think about uh, being a preacher, it's likely that most people will forget most of what I say. Right? And so... What he argues in his, his case is that there are, um, there are major impacts to societies that begin to forget, okay? We have these moments where the illusion of importance is shattered with reality. So remember back to 9-11, okay? For those of you who are old enough to remember when it happened, um, it was a, a really sur- like surreal day. I remember I was in the seventh grade. And we stopped everything we were doing and we put a TV on at school and we watched the news as one plane, two planes crashed in the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. Things were happening in real time. It's been like seared into my brain as this, this wow, this is one of the biggest moments in our country's history. And then something remarkable happened. Following 9-11, um, America, who, you know, we kind of worship sports heroes like gods, but after 9-11, before the games, they would bring out all the police and firemen and thank them for what they did in 9-11. And we realized for a moment, oh, servanthood, this is really who's important. 
and what's important. But, and we say they never forget, but we kind of did forget. I don't know about you, but like we very quickly went back to the normal day-to-day thing. And then it wasn't until recently, if you remember the first wave of COVID hit and all uh, there was this big emphasis on essential workers that had to go back to work so that we could have basic things like groceries and running water and healthcare workers like nurses and doctors who are working overtime. And we celebrated these people. There were TV commercials. Uh, Just about every brand would say, and we want to thank those essential workers who are putting their lives on the line so that others can live. Again, it takes so such a massive cultural event for us to remember the importance of servanthood. Uh, Mark Sayers in his book, Strange Days, writes, When a society forgets what's important, a society begins to decline. We are quick to forget. I actually have a memory of being in Israel and we went to this, we had this incredible experience. We, we went to the Yad Vashem, which is a Holocaust Memorial Museum. And part of the way it's designed, it's, it's like an architecture of memory because you move through it, you're immersed and you're drawn into the story. And it's very difficult stuff that you, you watch and see. And, um, and by the end of it, there's this huge hall and it's just names of people. And you get up close, you can see it's telling the stories of these people who were killed in the Holocaust. And it's, it's very, very hard to make sense of the modern nation of Israel if you don't understand the way they carry in memory. This painful yet sacred memory of the events of the Holocaust is what really makes Israel who they are today. They don't forget. They're intentional about not forgetting. There's a power in memory. Um, I think forgetting who God is and what God has done is one of the enemy's greatest plans to destroy our faith. God is saying to me and to you that in our times of great stress, in our times of great difficulty, remember me. Don't forget Deuteronomy uh, 419, or excuse me, 4, 9 through 13, um, verse 10, it says, Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people to hear my words, that they may revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach to their children. You came near to the foot of mountain when it blazed with fire to the very heavens, the black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow and wrote them on two stone tablets. The Lord is speaking and he is saying, remember what I did for you. Don't forget it. Remember it. Write it on the hearts of your children. Tell their children and pass this on from generation to generation. Don't forget what I have done. And I think so often it can be easy, us, easy for us to forget. I, I have a memory 
uh, with my son. We were golfing, and my son is six years old at the time, and uh, we were playing this little nine-hole. Uh, it was a short course, par three course, and I remember my son got so frustrated with himself. It was about hole five. And he was so down because he felt like he wasn't good at golf, which if you play golf, it is a frustrating sport. I am not good at golf, um, but I try and I try to get better. And I know how frustrating it is. And as a six-year-old, he was so frustrated. He just could not stop crying. And there were other factors. He was tired. It was a long day. Nine holes is probably too long for a six-year-old. Um, but I remember him just being absolutely um, out of his mind, hysterical in tears. And I looked at him and I said, Pierce, hey, I don't care if you're good at golf or not. All I care about is that we finish the round and we try our best and I'll wait for you to calm down. We can sit here and you can cry. We'll wait till you calm down and we can finish this round, okay? And after about two or three minutes of him sort of sniffling and calming down, I said, okay, Pierce, can we try and finish the round? And he said, okay. And he did. And it was a great moment of perseverance. It was a great moment where I saw uh, my son, who was absolutely emotionally distraught, be able to turn things around and finish strong. And it showed true grit. And I was proud of him that day. And when we finished the hole, not hole number nine, I went up to him and I said, now Pierce, do you remember at hole five when you were absolutely distraught and, and sad and you didn't think you could finish? And he said, yeah, dad, I remember. I said, I want you to remember that moment. And I want you to remember this moment. And in the future, when you're having a really hard time, I'm gonna remind you of when you fought and persevered even through a really hard moment. And that is something that I, to this day, whenever I find my son who can kind of get down on himself and can be uh, just hard on himself in general, when I find him in those moments, I'll say, Pierce, do you remember that time we went golfing? And he knows exactly what I'm talking about. And it's a powerful thing that I, I've been able to use with him to um, sort of Remind him that, yes, you can do this. You can persevere. You can turn it around. I believe that God is saying to us in times of great stress, remember me. David Foster Wallace, the author, said, The problem with being you is that every experience you've ever had, well, you're the one experiencing it. So your standpoint is that you were the center of everything happening on planet Earth. All events on this planet are perceived through your direct senses. So he says it's very hard when you have that much direct experience to not believe that you're still the center of everything. But he's like, here's the thing, you're not. And to live like you are makes you a narcissist with the side order of delusion. You see... The culture we live in and why I think this practice is so powerful is that we live in a culture that has a carefully curated social media life. It's designed to sell the views of others to the Instagram or TikTok algorithm. And we need to remember, 
right? There is no product. You are the product, right? Your attention is the product. And so here's the point. When we have a preoccupation with ourself, it sort of leads us to forget that we uh, are in front of, we get in front of God and we can't see him anymore. And this is what the Old Testament scholars call a spiral of forgetfulness. The Israelites forget God initially just by being careless. They're distracted by the needs of their times, which leads them to disobey commandments and ultimately leads them to forget God and harden their hearts. It's the slow spiral of forgetfulness. And so this leads to the practice of remembrance. One of the most important parts of your discipleship is remembering who God is and what he has done for you. Psalm 77, 11 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember the miracles of long ago. Revelation 2, 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Remember how long you have fallen. Repent and do the things you have at first. Do you remember your first love? I think back um, to when my wife and I started dating, and I'll, I'll make this short, but due to my own folly and insecurity, it's a story for another time. Maybe I'll have her on the podcast. Um, but I wanted to pursue a relationship with her. We had been friends for years and years and years and always kind of had that spark, that chemistry. And I remember um, after telling her that I wanted to maybe see where our relationship could go, she wanted 24 hours to think on it, which was a reasonable request. But in that 24 hours, I went insane overthinking the relationship. And I backed out out of fear. Fast forward, didn't talk to her much that summer, went to summer camp, came back. And out of the blue, she texted me. I texted her. And one fateful night, we hung out, talked till about five in the morning. And I kid you not, for the next 30 days, we hung out every single day. And the emotions and love and excitement of that early relationship are just such a a powerful memory for me. I mean, I was all consumed. There was a a chemistry and I had butterflies in my stomach and all I could think about was Betsy all the time wanting to be with her. She was completely orbiting my mind and my heart and my emotions and 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 not to say that I don't still love my wife. I do. In fact, our love has deepened. It's it's bigger than it was, but it's not the same. Um, I'm not staying up till 5 a.m. every morning and visiting her on my way to work and visiting her after work. And well, I mean, yeah, I go home and I see her every day. So technically, yes, but it is different. Um, and that is a normal part of every, every marriage. I'm reminded of that beautiful quote by C.S. Lewis. He writes, being in love is a good thing, but it is not the best thing. There are many things below it, but there are also many things above it. 
You cannot make it the basis of a whole life. It is a noble feeling, but it is a feeling. Being in love first moved them to promise fidelity. This quieter love enables them to keep the promise. It is the love that the engine of marriage is run. Being in love was the explosion that started it. Oof. That's really good. The explosion of the first love that ignited the engine. The engine is the quieter faithfulness, steadiness, love, devotion, the Hebrew ahava love, the I'm not going anywhere kind of love. But I think it's important for us to remember the love we had at first, especially in seasons when we maybe go through a, a dry season spiritually. Like, to be completely honest, there are times where I struggle to feel God in my quiet time, or I can't hear his voice clearly. And I, I've walked through seasons like that. And it's so important to practice remembrance. Because in those times, I think one of the ways that the devil will work is he'll get us to forget the moments when God was there. And so I close by sort of asking the question, do you remember your first love? Do you practice remembering? Remembering the moments when God was present in your life. Remembering the moment when you came to faith, when you were saved. Remembering when God answered a prayer, when God came through and, and met you, whether it was through a person who showed you love and kindness, or whether it was through engaging with the scriptures, do you remember those moments when God was faithful? In order to practice this remembrance, we also need to be in the scriptures. And we need to see where time and time again, the Lord is calling his people to remember. And so, Again, there are many practices in my life that I return to to grow in my spiritual formation, but I think one of the most powerful is that um, of the practice of remembrance. So that's my encouragement for those, and specifically for the one who asked the question. The practice of remembrance. Do you remember your first love? Now, this is the reason why... Jesus, when he's celebrating Passover with his disciples, it's so important for him to say, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget me. Remember that you're in bondage and that you've been set free through my blood. You were slaves to sin, but now you are servants of righteousness. Because of how I saved you, remember that you were once outsiders, but you're now insiders. You once had shame, but you're now free. And do this in remembrance of me. This is why we must be intentional about remembering what God has done. Remembering what Jesus has done. This is an important practice for me. I hope it's something that can become a practice for you. And I thank you again for tuning in to Better Questions. We will have a special guest coming uh, this Thursday. I can't wait for you to hear it. That said, if you have questions, um, you can submit those to betterquestions at eastminster.org. I check that email daily. We also have uh, on our website, eastminster.org slash betterquestions. You can submit them on a form there as well. And we will hope to see you next time. Thank you. Grace and peace. <laughs>